What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to Infertility and Me Podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Hey, you guys, welcome to Infertility and Me Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is Kyla Safir. She is an early childhood educator, yoga instructor for pre, during, and postnatal care, as well as a published author and wife and mom to her almost six-year-old daughter. Kyla has written a book for children in moms and dads of only one child, as well as incorporating her secondary infertility story within that book. And it's in the show details. So you guys can check that out and support and purchase and pass it along to some people that you may know as well. But today, Kyla talks to us about her struggles in living with fibroids, some very large ones at that, and then also her secondary infertility experience and how going from being a fertile woman to an infertile woman because of her fibroids and the amount of risks that she would take in going through IVF and having a myomectomy and then possibly having a sibling, she just decided, her and her husband, that they would stop trying for a sibling after her fibroids were removed because it would weaken and diminish the stability of pregnancy if she became pregnant through IVF after having her fibroids removed. And it would cause another set of risks and complications. And so she tells us about that today in this episode. And at the time when she started trying to conceive for a sibling, she was already 37. And after two years for trying for that sibling and getting the news about, she also had a blocked fallopian tube. And so they, her and her husband just decided, hey, we'll just stop. Well, I'm going to get my fibroids taken care of, but we're going to stop because the risks are just too great for my body. And she also states that she they are from the South. They live in the South. And it seems like everyone has three to five kids. And so the pressure was on thick and desiring that second baby, as well as her yoga studio, where she had classes for moms who were trying to conceive, who were pregnant, and also postnatal care and struggling with being of support to them while also needing support herself through secondary infertility. And so this episode is for you, friend, if you have already conceived 
through IVF or any other form of treatment and or naturally. And also, if you are considering trying to conceive for a sibling and you've already gotten the bundle from reproductive assistance and or naturally, and you're having some struggles and you feel like you are all alone and thinking that you're crazy for having this strong desire for wanting more children. And the bottom line is this, you guys, your life is yours to live. No one can tell you what that should look like. That's only for you and your spouse, if you have one, to decide. And so knowing that whatever you decide, it's okay. And Kyla also reminds us in this episode that sometimes we just have to accept the situation for exactly what it is and then make a heartfelt, sound decision from there. Today, friends, I hope that you get the comfort and validation that you need. And we will be back in just a second with Kyla. We're back, you guys, with our girl Kyla Safir on the podcast today talking about her story through secondary infertility and now being a one and done mom. Some of you will relate, some of you may not, but just in case this scenario ever happens to you, you'll know how to get through it and do it with <laughs> class, dignity, and grace as much as possible. We try, <laughs> you know, but thank you, Kyla, so much again, my love, for coming onto the show and speaking to us and giving us your time and your energy. Yeah. Thank you, Monique. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. So just how did you meet your husband, this doctor? <laughs> This handsome guy, this tall, handsome gentleman. <laughs> well, we actually met in middle school, ironically, oh. right? But I was the older woman, so we didn't start dating right away. Oh, I was in eighth grade and he was in sixth grade. And I kind of knew him. My older sisters and his older sisters were in the same height. They were in the same classes in high school. So our families knew each other, but I didn't see him for years. Like I knew he existed, but his oldest sister and my oldest sister were best friends. And when she started having kids um, in Chicago, she invited us to like the birthday parties. And so my husband would be there. And I remember when his, her son turned one, my husband was at the party and I was like, who is this tall drink of water? Like he's six, two now. He doesn't have the bowl cut, no lisp, you know, like I remember him from sixth grade. So it was kind of funny. But at the time he had a steady girlfriend that I knew about because our families all talked. And then at the second birthday party, though, he was single. Our eyes met over the pinata, you know, like it was <laughs> romance at a second birthday party. But yeah, he asked for my number and we started dating. And a couple of years later, we got married and here we are. Yes, that is so freaking <laughs> cool. Yes. See, this is why I asked this question, because I can get into yes. the details of you guys' business without being... <laughs> Without and you never know what yes, you're going to get. Exactly, huh? exactly, exactly. <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. I love stories like that, especially when there's like a transformation in the way someone looks a little bit different. Like they're like, yes, now you're my type. We can do it. Yes. Now. This is great. Well, also, he like he was in his medical residency. I'm like, okay, he's got a plan. You know, he like he's this man is, you know. Yes, he's well, well, well put together. Yeah. Right. I've been dating other guys that quite, weren't quite there. I was like, okay, okay. Yep. Womp, womp. Yes. That's exactly how it feels. <laughs> oh, right. You're like, jackpot. Okay. Good. Yes, indeed. That is so beautiful. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So you guys have your daughter. Mm-hmm. Everything's going good. Hubby's now finished his residency and being a doctor is everything that he imagined it would be in. You guys are living <laughs> the best life. You guys are <laughs> living your best life. You're still teaching. Right? Were you still teaching after you had her or had you already kind of phased out of it? Yeah. So we had kind of an interesting transition. 
we both finished, I was teaching in Chicago and he was finishing his residency. And then he had a one year fellowship in Seattle and we moved there for just one year. And then he was going to hopefully get a job somewhere. And we started trying then like right when we moved, just, I was 34 at the time. I was like, you know, let's get started. And we had some other family stuff going on. And I got pregnant the first time, which I like so dread saying that with people with primary infertility. Cause like that is that's not the case for majority of people. This was totally like, we were not planning. We were like, let's just start trying. It could take a year, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she decided to come then. So she was yeah. born in Seattle. Okay. And then he got the job here in South Carolina. So we moved a couple times with the infant, which was interesting. So I wasn't teaching. I was an early childhood teacher before, but that transition was just a lot. And I really wanted to be home with her. I had my master's in early childhood. So I wanted to watch her develop and grow, but I decided to, my other passion is yoga. So I decided during that first year to get certified teach yoga. And I specifically liked pre and postnatal yoga. So that's what I was doing the first couple of years while we were in Columbia. Yes. I remember reading that in your bio for your book. I really thought it was special that you were helping moms who were trying to get pregnant and, or were already pregnant and postnatal and everything with your yoga studio. And I've always enjoyed yoga myself too. I used to do a lot of it as well. And then I also have a special place in my heart for early childhood educators. My mom is one. She's getting ready to retire this summer. So what point did you guys decide that you were ready to start trying to conceive for a sibling after your daughter was born? How old was she when you started trying for a sibling? She was almost two. So at the time I was 37. I had her when I was 35. So we're like, okay, you know, we can't wait too long. But because I had her in the first trial, I was like, all right, we're probably, you know, probably happen again. I had fibroids before I got pregnant. I knew about that. And then they grew. They grow when you're pregnant, especially that first trimester. So the estrogen blood flow. So one grew really big. One was, we named it Leo, Leo Myoma. <laughs> That's the technical name for fibroids. So I knew I had them, but, and there was definitely, they were monitoring me a lot more, but basically my pregnancy was pretty smooth. I had some issues, but, and I was able to birth her vaginally unmedicated birth, like no C-section, which can you know happen or preterm labor. There's a lot of risk factors with fibroids in pregnancy. And I was really lucky. I didn't really have any. So after six months, after you give birth, they say check about six months later to see if the fibroids go down. And mine did. It shrunk a little bit from 10 centimeters to seven. The biggest one, I have about three or four, but the doctors didn't say, they were like, yeah, start trying, see what happens. So we started and nothing happened. And at that age, after six months, you're supposed to start, you know, doing more tests to see what's going on. And they did everything. They did an ultrasound. They did blood work. They tested my husband. Everything was fine. So I was like, okay, this seems, you know, strange, but maybe it could take longer. You know, we were lucky in the first shot with our daughter. So we tried for a couple more months then, actually about a year in. And I was like, you know what? I need to take my mind off this because it's a lot and puts a lot of pressure on your marriage and people started asking, which is like a whole other thing. And my daughter started asking for a sibling at around three because all her friends were having them. And it just like was this weight and like wanting this and kind of thinking each month. And, you know, as you know, you've been through fertility struggles that it can be really hard. So we got a puppy instead. (laughs) We bought a sibling for our child and she has taught me all kinds of things about patience and endurance and love and almost giving her for adoption, but we kept her. So wonderful, she's a special dog. Yeah. Anyway, that kind of put us, I gave a little breather from this pressure of having another kid. And we took a little break during that time. Yeah. We started for about a year and a half in. So about for a year. And then, so did you get your fibroids removed before seeing a reproductive endocrinologist or did you go to the endocrinologist first and they recommended you get them removed? Cause sometimes that happens as yeah. well, you know? 
Yeah, totally. So they kind of assumed people I talked to, all the doctors, I actually talked to a midwife too, because I was interested in doing a home birth or something different. I had a hospital birth with my daughter, but I wanted to do a little different way. And the midwife seemed everything was fine. I told her my risk factors and things and my age. But about a year and a half in, I was like, something's going on. This is clearly not working. We were not protecting anything. And so I finally was like, okay, let's see a reproductive endocrinologist. But I wasn't wanting to do IVF or any other procedures, or I didn't know about surgery yet. So I was kind of hesitant because I was like, if this baby doesn't come somewhat naturally, then I think we'll be okay, you know, but whatever. It's a whole emotional roller coaster of being okay with things Absolutely. and not. Yeah. So I went in, I had an appointment to do a couple tests in SIS, which is like a saline solution they put in, and then they do ultrasound to see. I did that on a Tuesday. So she said, oh, she looked and was like, okay, looks like, you know, your fibroids are there, but it shouldn't be impacting anything. We could probably remove this one, lap- like one smaller one laparoscopically. I was like, great. So she kind of gave me hope that it would be this, you know, simple procedure. This wasn't the greatest reproductive endocrinologist I've ever met. Because <laughs> then on Thursday, I had an HSG, which is the hysteria salpingogram, which I don't know if you got that done too. Oh, yeah, girl. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know about this. So then they put a dye in and they x-ray you. So it's a little bit more specific. They can tell more about the uterine lining. They can see how the ovaries are doing, fallopian tubes. And it turned out that one of my fallopian tubes was blocked by the, I think the big fibroid was blocking that one. And also just my uterine lining. It had been good, but mm-hmm. I think it was... It's misshapen because of this huge fibroid on the side. Like, so nothing could implant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Leo was big. He was like, your uterus is seven centimeters. And so the fibroid was seven centimeters. So seeing it on the the image, yes. (laughs) was like, just like eating it. It was like a T-Rex. Like, get out of the way, buddy. Get out of the way. Get out of here. It's my turn to shine. Yeah. (laughs) Fibroids are like ruthless. Okay. They will take over your entire reproductive system, just like endometriosis. Two of the worst kinds of diseases to have to deal with and suffer through. My mom had fibroids and they were like humongous. Okay. You freaking mongoose. Yeah. Yes. And the fact that so many women have them and it caused so many issues, like what is happening? I feel like this can't have been, you know, it is kind of common and they're usually benign. They don't really cause problems, but a lot of women have problems, especially black yeah. women. Like it's so common. I just feel like, I have like all of these conspiracy out? theories that are like backed <gasps> by science as well mm-hmm. as just paying attention to the history of the United States and what we consume mm-hmm. and how we consume it and yep. the material. Diet, environment. And then mm-hmm. there was a documentary on Netflix like three years ago that talked about how the cast iron skillets, the first ones that used to come out, like the Teflon. Yeah. It's so much it like, oh my gosh, it had so many chemicals in it that was giving people cancerous, benign and cancerous growths all over their bodies. And oh so that's gosh. when they started changing the materials, materials mm-hmm. used for cooking because they were marketing them at a time in the 50s and 40s and 60s where women were staying home and they were cooking every day, yeah. three meals. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we're consuming it. Cancer now. pans. And these yeah. are the repercussions we're seeing now. Because there's no way that this was happening 100 years ago. There's no way. Right. We weren't yeah. estrogen dominant like this. No, no way. Yes. No. Well, also, so estrogen, right, that's something that the fibroids feed off of. And we have so much in our diet with soy. Like soy products are in everything. <sighs> and I, I was vegetarian for a while, so I ate a lot I of tofu was too. and soy milk and, and vegan for a little bit. So I'm like, I ate so many of those products. And now I'm like, is that it? Although, but like my doctors, it's interesting because I'm like, what causes them? I, they don't know. How do I prevent them? Um, they don't know. I'm like, I don't understand how there's no, again, research. Like, why is money not being put toward this disease that affects so many? It's 80% of women over 50 will have them. And you know what's so funny is that the research is happening and it's kind of like hush, hush. It's like they almost don't want to tell mm. us 
yeah. what's really happening here. Okay. We went off on a tangent, you guys, but yes. I'm sure many of you feel the same way that we do because yes. I've had similar conversations in private DMs with yeah. people, you know, but I guess hopefully we'll do better. But that's, I guess that's why we're here having these conversations. Yeah. Somebody Openly, will be listening. Yeah. I want to do like, I'm like my <laughs> next life. I'm going to do fibroid research and like interview yes. women. It's interesting. I'm from the South side of Chicago and like near where Michelle Obama grew up and she also had fertility issues. My two of my siblings also had fertility issues. I'm like, environment is probably huge. I'm like, I want to study neighborhoods and see, you know, what are the rates of women having infertility issues and stuff. There. Yeah. So interesting. That's my next gig. <laughs> yeah. I could see you doing that and getting like, a, <laughs> what is it? Public health, masters yeah, in public maybe. health. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I like this. Okay. I like this. I like this. Yes. Yeah. Children's book to public health. Yeah. One day. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since you're already so passionate about the fertility community as well as being a yes. mom of one and stuff and working through yeah. secondary infertility. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah, so, okay, so I had this appointment for the HSG, and the woman was like, oh, we can't do that simple procedure. She basically told me, okay, while I'm still on the table with my like, you know, parts hanging out, which was like a little gown. She's like, not like, let's go talk in the office or something, or, you know, when you get cleaned up. No, she's like, the fiber is so big and blocking everything. You're gonna have to have an open myomectomy, which is like an abdominal, they cut it open and take out the fibroid, which is a inpatient procedure, like two to five days, you have to stay at the hospital and a six to eight week recovery. Then you have to wait six months for your uterus to heal to even try. She's like, you'll probably have to do IVF. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then after that, you have to have a C-section because of uterine rupture possibility. Exactly. I was like, what? So like, this is from Tuesday where I had hoped like a little small procedure might help to basically you're infertile. Like basically with all these interventions and all this expensive and time consuming things, you maybe can have another kid. So I'm like sitting there ball- and then she left the room. I was like, what? I'm like bawling and looking at the nurses with me. That. I was like, that was the, yeah. it was literally the worst bedside manner that I've ever had. I was like, you just told me the most devastating news and bounced and like, not even like, let's talk in the office with your husband, you know, like, let's talk about possibilities. It was like, this is what's going to happen. So I just, you know, I was like devastated, went home, talked to my family. We we're very open with my daughter about what was going on because she had been asking and because we talk openly about our bodies and things like that. So we discussed it over time and I was like, I can't do this. Like my daughter was three. Our puppy was six months old and crazy. My husband works really it's like just no schedule basically yeah. hours it's like right now he's on call right? week. flexibility yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's a neurosurgeon so like his schedule is just insane all the oh, time wow. so I wouldn't yeah. have his support we don't have any family where we live and I was starting my business my yoga business was growing I was teaching workshops and classes all over the city I didn't have my own studio that was kind of my dream before COVID messed all that up but so anyway this happened I was like I don't you know like that's a lot and financially it's a lot you know, time, giving up my body for all this for, you know, like the small chance. I was 39 at the time when I got this diagnosis. So I was like, I went from trying to conceive to infertile in like a day. And that just blew me away. I wasn't thinking that that was a possibility, honestly. Like I knew that we were struggling, but so yeah, that's when it really hit me and the reality of all of it. I was like, okay. Yeah. And then just kind of like slowly letting go of the fact, like we had saved all my daughter's baby stuff. And so I slowly started giving it to families and friends, my yoga moms, 
some neighbors, my maternity clothes. And that was kind of like cathartic and kind of cleansing because you have this dream of what it's supposed to be like. And we had a four bedroom house so we could have our family visit and then two two rooms for the kids and all these things that you kind of set up because you expect this to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, see, you've done everything else you ever said you were going to do. Yeah. And I'm like a type. I'm like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to get this done. Like, let's do this. Right. And it's really shocking when things don't go the way that you expect. And so, yeah, that was a, that was a, a lot. And I actually didn't never heard the term secondary infertility. Like the doctors never no, said that term. I just assumed infertility. But a friend of mine who happens to be a doula and works in the birth community, she was like, oh, I was telling her my story. She's like, oh, you have secondary infertility. And even just naming it was validating. Like, oh, this is a thing. Like, I honestly didn't know anyone else. I knew no one going through this. So I felt very isolated and I had all these people asking me about having another kid. And I was like, I'm trying, you know, like, or get out of my business. <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. And so did you ever go back to the RE after your removal of fibroids and all that? And then the terrible bedside manner that you had, did you ever go back at all? And Oh, no. No. Okay. She was like, just set this up in September or we, this is August. She was like, okay, okay. in September you can set up with it. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing like, no, nothing you said sounds good to me. But the fact that you asked that, and then this past January, I decided to get the big one removed because it was causing me issues and mm-hmm. kind of thinking about my fertility, but also just like, I want to be done. Like mentally it was blocking me physically caused problems. So I got, but the, not the open, the open myomectomy is really intense. So I talked to my gynecologist and she recommended some other surgeons who, ob surgeons who do a laparoscopic robotically assisted yeah. procedure. That's what my mom had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That one is so much better. It's outpatient. So right. I was in in the morning and my husband took me home and then it's about a two week recovery. And it was the first couple of days were hard, but not even because of the surgery. I mean, the incisions hurt a little bit, but it was the anesthesia. And then they have to yep. put gas in you to blow up your abdomen so they can see everything. And that was the hard part. Like a couple of days of that were, were bad. And then I feel great. Like literally it was this like weight lifted out of my gut. <laughs> and so I did get it, but not with that RE and more just for my medical health, like my personal health. What's interesting about your story as well, because you were catering and serving essentially pregnant mm-hmm. moms and moms to be <laughs> and moms postnatal. So yeah, were there times before COVID, of course, when you mm-hmm. were forced to have to stop, right? Were there times where you ever considered leaving the industry altogether because of your own desires to expand your family, weighing so heavy and being around all these, for some, and maybe not all, some fertile mm-hmm. women within in your studio? Yeah. I mean, you put it perfectly. That's exactly how it felt. Like after I got my diagnosis in August of 2019, and I was pretty open with some of the moms, like they're my friends. They're wonderful. Like all these moms were kind of going through an experience that I had, you know, I already had my daughter and they were just so supportive as a community together. And this is pre-COVID. So we were all meeting together for our prenatal classes. And then a lot of them would give birth and then they come to my postnatal classes, which was great because then you kind of get back into your body. You can bring baby you form this community of other moms. Like it was wonderful. I loved it. That was what was the hard part was, but you're right. Like it became the day I got my diagnosis. I had to teach that night. And I was the only instructor teaching pre and postnatal in my, in the town I live in. So I was like, I felt like I had to, I mean, I probably should have called off class, but I went anyway. And like, I just kind of, you know, pulled through and got through the class. And again, I love the women. I really didn't want them to miss it. Like my classes were growing and they really, they told me how much they enjoyed it. And it felt good to, you know, move your body and prepare for labor. So that was really intense. And then COVID hit that next March where all the studios shut down and I moved some classes online, but it was almost like a breather. You know, I could like, okay, 
I did some class online, then I just kind of stopped because online, it was just so different. There's no, it's hard to have a community and the moms couldn't interact. And, you know, I was using like my computer, my phone. I didn't, I hadn't set up for that. Like you're not trained to do tech stuff. You know, most people, you know, during COVID had to flip to like Zoom and stuff. So yeah, it was kind of nice to just, it was hard. It was hard to see that all these pregnant people and young, you know, with their little babies. But I also saw like how hard it was. Like some of them did have problems conceiving. So I know a lot of them dealt with infertility and treatments. So I knew it wasn't easy for everyone. And then I saw them, you know, postnatally, like six weeks after they're, you know, they're exhausted and they're, you know, figuring out breastfeeding and all these things. And I was like, ooh, that looks really hard. So it was like a little bit of both, a little bit of like, oh, the reality is I like forget, you forget how hard it is at the beginning. And yeah, we do. You know, you kind of push that out of your mind when you try to have another. But for me, I think now it's harder when people have a second kid. When they have their first, I'm excited for them. But the second really like gets me because I think that's something I can't have. So know that feeling all too well. Yeah. <laughs> Getting so me on the right day. It's like you get they, yes. they get you on the right day and you'll break down in <laughs> yes. tears. Okay. Yes. Social media is like the worst. It's like oh all the you know, birth announcements, pregnancy. I'm like, yeah, I had to get off. I got off that too, which was helpful. And then I also I got therapy because I was like, this is I'm dealing with this. I don't really know how to process it all. And my therapist talked to me about my daughter's experience too, because she kept asking, like literally every day would ask for a sibling and she would pretend she knew what my work was. And so she would pretend to be pregnant and she would have, you know, 10 babies around the house. And I knew it was like important to her. And I was like, it feel like I was letting her down. And also my husband, like he's one of four, I'm one of five. Like we wow. have these big families. Okay. And so it was, he never put pressure. He understood and was like, yeah, we're going to have, we have one great kid. That's like great. And she's getting easier each year. You know, they get easier, less you know, they need less help and they're out of diapers and all these things that he's like, it's okay. He was very supportive in that, but it was also hard. I like, I wasn't That's sure I wanted to give up, but there was like no out. It's always a back and forth, you know? Yes. You're like the bobblehead. That's how I feel. Yes. It's like bobblehead. Do I really want to no, know? Maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe, you know. Yes, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and you don't know why, like some days I'm fine. And some days I'm like, no, I really want this. Some days I'm like, no, I don't want that, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. And it's so funny because a lot of people who like you have had really good, intense therapies say that they still bobbling back and forth, but they like, they know how to manage it better. Would you say that your therapy helped you to manage it better? And would you encourage others in the community to seek help if they came to you and say, Kylie, did therapy work for you in getting past fertility? What would you, what would you recommend to them as far as a hundred percent? Like I looked up someone who, you know, a lot of the therapists will put what their specialties are. Like some people are dealing with loss or, you know, trauma and infertility, like they'll put that. And I think finding someone specifically who either deals with people with it or has gone through it, I think that's helpful too. A hundred percent. I feel like you need that outside perspective. And she not only helped me, so she told me like, you know, write down your feelings. Also write down your daughter's feelings because it's a loss for her. She had wanted this too. And I had never really seen it that way. You know, I, I knew she was struggling, but I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And that's the idea for my book came in because I started looking for books about secondary infertility for me and then secondary infertility and like wanting a sibling for a kid. And there was nothing. I found one book about, for me, like a mom's book, and it was only an ebook form, which was fine. But in the end, she has a second kid, like in the epilogue. I was like, are you kidding me? So I read this whole thing, like, yes, mm. I feel you. I feel you. I'm going through the same thing. And she's like, oh, by the way, I was able to conceive again, which just like broke my heart. I'm like, this is not just, you know, I like, so I felt a little let down on that one. It's almost like when you connect with, say, somebody, like how we connected online, right? And then you connect with a book. Because especially for us 80s and 70s babies, like we're we're all about the books. Like I need the physical copy of it. I need yes. to smell it. Turn the pages. I need to 
lick my finger and do the whole motion, yes. right? So when yes. I understand that when you say in the epilogue, she says, oh, but by the way, I ended up having another baby. It's like, God darn it. I thought. Yeah. I yeah. Thought, we were in the same boat. I thought, I thought we were like we were sisters there. on this. Yeah. yeah I no. thought we were. And it, it turns out that yeah. although they could relate, they're out of it. In a, you know, it's yeah. different for them now, you know? Yes. So, yeah. yeah. And then the kids' books about only children, there's so few. I couldn't believe it. Even Very now, few. I still, I like, besides my immediate family and some really close friends, no one knew I was going through this, honestly. So when I put it out there, I got so much support and positive feedback Wonderful. and other people telling me their infertility struggles. I was like, wow, it's like really opening up this dialogue. Other people tell me they want to write children's books. Like a lot of people are like, how did you go about it? And well, you'll be selling courses publisher. soon on how to do it. Step by step <laughs> right. courses by Kyla S. <laughs> right. That is hilarious. Yes. Also, because I had to kind of give up the yoga. Like it was getting painful seeing, you know, like. Yeah, and it was your moms, business. It was really hard. No, yeah. That's what your I was doing. Like so I had to. Baby. Yeah, sure. that was my other baby. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I spent so much time and energy into it and, you know, marketing myself and teaching all over the city. So giving that up and finding like another way, another outlet or creative thing that I really wanted to do. And so this book has kind of translated into that, which I'm so grateful for because I tried to go back to teaching and it was just too much. And my daughter still needed me so much and I was exhausted and I tried it for a few months. And I was like, I can't do this. I'm in my forties. I'm like, I'm too old for, you know, being back in that right now. So I needed like another space to feel like confident about what I can do. And I'm so excited this book. And then I have some ideas for other series I'm going to do. So to be, it's like a nice new path for me. And wonderful. I have so much support. You've been yeah. like wonderful support. Oh no, it's my pleasure. I love, love, love supporting you guys. And because somebody had to support me too, you know, when I first mm-hmm. got started mm-hmm. with the podcast and getting the yeah. word out about it and helping women find tribe and community and such. Mm-hmm. And well, and also just coming to terms of being an only child family. Like that's, exactly. a, whole other, that's a whole other process, especially, I don't know if you have siblings, but. I, I do, but from a different mom, my dad was married to their mother first. And so okay. I'm my mom's only child. And so I grew okay. up in the house by myself, but I didn't want to have just one kid. I really wanted yeah. to. You don't expect it. Mm-mm. It's like this whole mental shift of yeah. like everything. But then becoming to like with just the Only You podcast and the community of women, I'm on Patreon with them too. So exactly. It's like we get to communicate with each other and support each other and talk yeah, about you know, things that go on and how, how easy it is to have one kid versus multiple. I'm like, it is. Yeah. Like, we're honestly, just appreciating that and also being present more. Like once I kind of let go of we're going to have another kid, I could like really be present with my daughter and our family and not be distracted by what could be or whatever. You know, it was really... I don't want to do it anymore. I was like, okay, I need to just be here. And yoga is all about being present in the moment. Acceptance is coming up a lot in these last few episodes I've had. Like everybody has literally come on without me asking about acceptance and they've said it. So I feel like acceptance is our word for this year. Like we're going to accept Mm -hmm. where we are and we're just going to deal with it head on and we're not going to try to bypass it. Yeah. And rebirth. This is my rebirth this year, 2022. I feel like for the world, like, okay. But everybody, like COVID just like shut us down. And then like Mm -hmm. we had to all go through like this butterfly cocoon phase. Here we are. Yeah. So now we're coming back out and we got our wings flapping and stuff. But I feel like the connection with your story and now being a mom of one, one and done, having dealt with secondary infertility for two years, two, three years. And I think it's important because I'm seeing a lot of people in the community getting pregnant and then they're now ready to start for that sibling. And so just, that's why I had to get you on. And I was so glad that you were able to get on quickly because 
Well, because it's fifty percent of infertility is yeah. secondary. Did you know? Like that yeah, is, I did. I, I learned. And when I learned too, about like, that, oh I was gosh. like, "What? You kidding yeah. me? There's that yeah. many women who get pregnant once and then can't do it the second time." Yeah, wow. and some of it is like they did IVF the first time and can't. You know, like yeah, some yeah, for sure. Reproductive technology, for sure. Like that is obviously a huge portion of it too, but. Yeah. So I don't know what your journey was with second, but like, it's hard because yeah. you kind of have this expectation of most people, at least in the only you community, majority are, we're not expecting just one. And then whatever circumstance happened, some are, some are like, I wanted one, you know, my husband and I talked about it or my partner and I talked about it and here we are and they're yeah. good. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it was a journey to get to that point of like really appreciating what we do have. And, and I also think that's important. Women shouldn't just have to focus on their fertility, you know, like, yeah, like there's we're so many other ways that we... Yes. And we give so much to the world in so many different ways that I think it's important to acknowledge that, not just baby making, which in the South, it's very common. So it's been, it's it's all, been a journey being also it's here. It's about, okay? You don't have any <sighs> children and you live in the South? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I know. We're literally the only one Get job together, okay? <laughs> I noticed yeah. that when we were there a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, oh, hold yeah. on, wait a minute. Like, are we the only ones with one child? Like, what's happening here? Yes. <laughs> Young yes. and old people. It didn't matter who it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seemed like everybody had at least two or three and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I wish I could do it. And you know, it's so crazy now with my son. I'm like, how the hell would I even care for a second child? He's got so many energy. Oh my God. I'm in the gym five yeah. days a week just to keep <laughs> up with him. Okay. You guys are yes. serious out here. <sighs> I think that's it too. Just realizing like, oh my God, maybe one was what I could handle. You yeah. know, people say that God gives you what you can handle. And with my husband's job and no family nearby, right. like there's a reason there's I a really reason. think like, yeah. I mean, that's hard to hear, but like, honestly, like looking at it, like the because of your lifestyle. Yeah. You yeah. guys are busy people. And then like you said, with your, your husband's demanding industry as a doctor, I'd be doing all myself. I'm like, yeah. God, that seems really probably hard. why he has never really pressured you about having yeah. more because he knows that you're doing all the work at home. Yeah. You're doing yeah. the brunt of I the work. I do the dog, the house, the yeah. kid. I'm like, okay, so I'm good. My plate yeah. is full and do Shout my own Shout out things, to hubby so. for being understanding. Yeah, that guy right there. I can tell. <laughs> I haven't even met him. No. Nope. <laughs> oh, but thank you, Kyla, my dear. This has yes. been a blast. A blast. Thank I'm you. so glad we got to know you more. I got to know you more. We finally yeah. got to meet, and hopefully, we'll be able to meet in real life. Yes, come down in the south. Near future. Make it, yeah. If there's a word for the community that you would like to say for those who are thinking of trying for a sibling, whether their first time was through a reproductive endocrinologist help or not. What would you say to other moms who are struggling for that sibling and what helped you move through it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think give yourself that space and time to grieve. That was one thing I didn't really do. Like, I guess once I found out, get therapy, definitely let them. That's what my therapist said. She's like, you can grieve this loss, like take time, cry, like, let it out. Don't try to like hold it in. And I think also using a creative outlet, like you have the podcast, people do blogging, I wrote this book, people do art, like there's so many outlets to help process it. And even like get out in the world, if that's what you want to do to share your story. I think that's really helped me with turning this pain into a creative outlet has been great. But yeah, mom, be gentle on yourself. Like it is a really hard process. It's not some days it's fine, like we talked about and some days it's hard and just kind of acknowledging that trying to thrive as much as possible during it. Um, Be present with your if you have one child or your puppy or your cat or whoever's in your life that loves you unconditionally, soak that all up because it goes quick. Time goes quick and they, they get bigger and enjoying that. Your first child, if you have it yeah, as much as possible. And where can we find you on Instagram, dear? 
Yeah. So it's my name, Kyla underscore Sophia underscore books. And I'll spell that because it's a little unusual. Kyla's K-Y-L-A. Sophia's S-A-P as in Peter, H-I-R, and then underscore books. And my website's my name too, kylasophiabooks.com. I haven't got any creative names yet. I mean, I'm just starting this path. But yeah, my book's out at the end of April. And then I'm having a book launch party, which is really fun, like the beginning of May, which is on actually my daughter's due date. It was May 7th. So that'll be fun, you know, because we won't have another like baby shower or sprinkle. So this yeah. is kind of a celebration of this book baby that I'm giving birth right, to. Exactly. Yeah. Celebrating something else. You guys know where to find me on Instagram and Fertility and Me podcast everywhere, anywhere you can think of. And yeah, that's it for yeah, today. Get on guys. brighter days. The book will be out. Yes. Brighter days. On brighter days. Yeah. It'll be in the show details for you to tap and go purchase and maybe purchase another one for somebody else that you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or put it in your free little library. Yes, That's what indeed. some people are doing. They're donating to that. Spread yeah. the word. Yes. <laughs> Please do. Support our girl Kyla and her efforts Thanks. to spread the word about being mom and dads of secondary infertility as well as one and done parents. And guess what, you guys? It's all okay. Everything. It's all. It's all right. Okay. Whatever <laughs> you good. choose to do. Whatever you choose to do. So we thank you again for being here, Kyla. Yeah, appreciate you so good. much. That's it for this week, friends. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.